But if we can't talk to each other, we're not gonna make it. Sometimes I feel like I, I've bitten off more than I can chew. Most of the time, I work in a glass jar and lead a very uneventful life. A face full of glass hurts like hell when you're in it. That's weird. That glass looks half full to me. Eating glass. Eating glass and staring into the abyss. Glass? Who gives a shit about glass? Who the fuck is this? It's kind of part of our culture to eat glass. Better get some safety goggles next time. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> Hey everybody and welcome to Chewing Glass, the show where we speak to developers building in the Solana ecosystem. Today we have a very special guest, Noah Prince. Uh, Noah is an OG Solana builder. Um, he's come in to us through the creation of Strata Protocol and more recently doing some really cool stuff with wireless networks and Helium. So um, Noah, welcome to the show, man. How's it going? Good, good. How are you? I'm doing pretty good. Uh, it's good to have you here. Um, so normally the way we kick this show off uh, is we, we start to start from the very beginning um, just to get a little get to know a little bit about you. So like, how did how did you get your start in, in computer software? Yeah, so originally, like all throughout high school, I, uh, I wanted to be an aerospace engineer. Uh, I just, you know, thought rocket scientists had a good ring to it. I, uh, I actually even applied to the uh, Air Force Academy, but didn't get in. And then, you know, first year there, uh, I'm, you know, working on aerospace engineering. And my brother, Jordan, he's building this, like, game that teaches people how to program, and he needs a guinea pig. Uh, so, you know, I start using his game, <laughs> and I learn, how to, uh, I learn how to program Java. And then, you know, pretty quickly, I've made my own little AI that just, like, goes and, you know hunts and kills everything and is taking over the game and i realize damn i think i'm in the wrong profession <laughs> um, so you know very quickly i took a uh, cs class and i took an intro computer engineering class because um, i figured it was like one of those two um, and i actually ended up going with computer engineering and then um, you know did an internship at the same company that my brother was at really you'll hear a recurring theme uh, <laughs> of following this guy so did you end up getting a master or did you end up getting graduating with a CS degree? Uh, I graduated with a degree in computer engineering, which is it, it's pretty close to CS at University of Illinois. Um, it just has a little bit more of the low level stuff working on uh, electronics. Uh, I, I chose that because I saw a lot of materials for CS online, but like nobody could get me like an O scope <laughs> locally. I had to be in like a, you know, a lab. So I was like, oh, I'm going to do the thing that. I need a university lab for. Nice. So you were you were like working in C or like C plus plus or or something like that, like using that to like move a crane around or something. Yeah the uh, the very intro class of uh, computer engineering is like you build like a robot and stuff, so you're like soldering things, uh, which is pretty cool. I still do that occasionally. I built my own keyboard. Nice. Uh, yeah, I've actually seen, seen some stuff. You got some haters online with your uh, your insanely ergonomic keyboard. <laughs> It's just Ospot, and he wants one now. <laughs> oh, yeah, that's just that one guy, that one annoying guy on the internet. Um, cool, so so you you, you got a computer engineering degree, um, and, and then so you got an internship, and so, like, 
what's the trajectory from there um, in your computer self and like in, in your in your software? I know I know I know a little bit like f- from historically that you did some tradfi stuff, but like was that out of the gate or did that sort of like what was the sort of uh, progression there? Yeah, so I actually kind of started originally as a web dev. I actually went to this company called Yellow, um, based out of Chicago. They do like recruitment tech. I was there for I think about nine months before my brother uh, and his friend Chris come to me and they're like, "We're doing a startup. You should come along uh, and be employee number one." Um, so that was actually my first brush with startups, and I did that for about two years. That. Was interesting because you kind of when you start a startup, you're like, okay, like six months make or break. We're gonna know whether or not it's done. But that's not the way startups work. It's like, you know, very much two years in, we weren't dead, but we were kind of limping along and didn't really have much traction. Um, so you know, we decided to. Well, I decided to call it. Jordan decided to call it before I did. Um, and the other guy, he's actually still he's still grinding on it. But um, from that, you know, you just level so much you level up so much in your, you know, short time doing a startup, building something unique. Cause you like, you, if you can't find the answer to something, you don't have someone to go to, like, you just got to figure it out. Um, and so I learned a ton and that's how I got into TradFi. I, I think out of school, I probably never would have passed the interview at, uh, like I went to Acuna, uh, and that company is like insanely competitive to get into. They interview so many people, but it just happened that a lot of the stuff that I ended up building at that startup uh, kind of taught me what I needed to know to pass that interview. So you you joined that company as, um, I guess, building trading systems? Yeah, so that I joined. Um, so I kind of made a career transition uh, unintentionally from web dev to uh, like big data infrastructure. So uh, that job was very much like, how do you deal with the huge amounts of data that are coming into the trading system? So there's, you know, market data where you've got like the price of every option in the world um, and like the entire book. Um, but there's also the entire trading system. You can kind of think of it like a, you know, decentralized network where all of these applications are sending messages to each other. And all of those messages that they're sending to each other are also really important to index. Uh, and all of this stuff has to be indexed really, really, really quickly. Uh, so that trading can make decisions on it. Um, and then you also have to index it historically so they can go and like backtest against it. Um, so it's a, it's a really interesting problem. Um, big data infrastructure in general is super interesting, but especially at these TradFi places where uh, you can't make compromises in terms of, latent, of latency leads to a lot of really interesting designs. Um, so I, I very much enjoyed like the kind of systems architecture of it. Like everything started with a meeting of the whole team, just like in front of a whiteboard, drawing out squares. Cool. So I'm assuming, um, were, were you only, were you in C++ or like what were you, what, what um, programming language were you using? I was actually Scala. Um, <laughs> uh, I, I actually really, really, really like okay. Scala. Um, yeah, Solana is the first time I've used a, like a low level language professionally. Really? I, th- I actually, I didn't realize all the, the sort of, I thought most of the TradFi and a lot of that stuff just for performance, um, purposes was typically low level. Um, I know a lot of people complain about Java not being as performant, um, as, as it should be. Yeah. I mean the, so the stuff that's on the, you know, critical path. So, uh, the trading engine was all C++. Um, and then they even actually have FPGAs uh, where they do hardware. 
So they're like doing crazy shit between Ethernet frames. Like uh, the level of performance is crazy there. But for the like data indexing, basically all of the big data open source tools are JVM based, right? Like you've got Spark uh, and like, so it kind of makes sense to use Scala for that. Yeah, so um, so you pretty much that that was the majority of your like your um, your non crypto career was spent in in that one company, um, or did you bounce around doing similar things um, in that industry? No, it was so it was about eight months at Yellow, about two months at that startup with uh, Jordan, and then or not two months, two years at that startup with Jordan, um, and then uh, another two years at uh, Akuna. So by the time I left there. It's actually, it was kind of hard to convince me to come to Solana. I, I had, you know, recently gotten to the point where I was leading the data infrastructure team. Um, so team lead position. I actually loved that company. Like the, the work was a lot of fun. I loved my coworkers. But uh, yeah, I mean, we can get into the story of how I got, got suckered into Solana. <laughs> yeah, so um, so you're you're in Web two. You're doing all these things. Like, were you actually paying attention to to any form of crypto at that time? Like Bitcoin trading. Were you sort of just like, that's not for me. Like, that seems like pretty weird. Um, or or were you actually involved in it at all? Yeah, I mean, Akuna had a like a crypto trading team, um, and so we you know we helped out that that desk a lot. And, you know, often their needs were very different than the, you know, traditional exchange uh, path, I would say. Um, but I hadn't I hadn't even like created a wallet or done anything like that. OK, so um, now let's let's jump ahead. Like you're actually probably the first guest that I've ever had that like was not like hasn't really touched crypto at all, um, which is kind of pretty surprising. I think we're like 12 episodes in. Um, and then, then here you are today, just like completely immersed in, in all this stuff. So, so let's go ahead and get this started um, and, and start talking about how you got your intro um, into um, building in crypto. You, you, you are a Solana native developer, right? You never built on Ethereum. You never built on the other L2s or anything. You just came, you jumped straight, straight into Solana. Oh yeah. Yeah. I, uh, I actually have a funny story about my first experience with Ethereum. Um, <laughs> but yeah, let's hear it. Yeah. Yeah. So I, I, um, you know, I was, I was working at Akuna leading the data infrastructure team. Um, loving it. Uh, my brother goes from Citadel to, uh, Solana. Um, and, you know, he tells me about it and it's cool. And, you know, I'm curious about it cause I had never really looked that much into blockchain. I'd never looked that seriously at it. Um, and of course the, you know, the first thing he tells me is like, you should come here now. Uh, he's like, there's some, there's some real, there's some real stuff happening here. Like you need to leave TradFi and come here, which like, you know, if you know, Jordan, that's like, that's him. Like when he believes in something, he goes hard. Um, so, but I was like, no, he wasn't going to, he wasn't going to let it go until you quit your job and came over there. Yeah. And indeed he didn't. Uh, and he kept asking and like, you know, Solana kept <laughs> heating up and I kept saying no. Um, and finally I, you know, so data infra was, as you said, like, you know, JVM is not that performant data infra was starting to go towards rust. Um, because you know, the, the memory efficiency processing that much data is actually useful. So I was like, all right. Um, you know, I learned a lot of languages in my career. I kind of like to just learn them for fun. Cause I feel like you, you know, you kind of learn a different viewpoint every single time. 
Um, so I was like, sure, I'll like I'll build something on Solana so that I can learn Rust. I'll do like a a fun little in and out twenty minute adventure weekend project. Um, and so at that time, <laughs> my brother had started. Um, him and Bartosh were like, uh, you know, talking about this thing called BitClout, which had blown up at the time, which was like, you know, social tokens and the ability to like basically buy someone on. Yeah, yeah, everybody remembers where they were when that happened. Um, yeah, so I I was looking at it and I was like, they have this like monospace Twitter. And I was like, nobody's going to want to use their Twitter. But like the social token idea was kind of cool. It's like, oh, it's like an interesting way to try and monetize. Um, so I thought I would build that thing on Solana because I figured there was no point in it being its own blockchain. Um, I thought I would build it on Solana and I would just make it as like a Chrome extension you know, pop up on top of Twitter. Um, and as I'm building this, I show it to Jordan and then Jordan shows it to the, some other people. And then they tell me to put it into the Solana summer hackathon. And then like, before I know it, I'm like, somehow I'm working two jobs. Like I, you know, work 40, 50 hours a week at Akuna. I come home, I work another 40 hours doing this side project. Um, and the side project just starts to feel more real than the, the, the main job. Um, and so I, you know, at a certain point, just and Metaplex, and Metaplex was the thing at this point in time, though, right? Like Metaplex was like in its infancy whenever you started your little project. Yeah. So Metaplex was token metadata. The pull request for token metadata was actually how I learned to program Solana. Okay. My brother was like, here's a pull request of something I just did. Read it. And that's how you're going to learn how to program on Solana. This is like before Anchor. You know, this is like the OG, like balancing a checkbook style Solana. You get the accounts in the wrong order. Sorry about you. Um, <laughs> and it was hard, man. Like back then, it really was like chewing glass. I, you know, it was like three weeks of working like 80 hours because I was doing, you know, both of these projects. And I actually almost called it quits. I was like, this programming model is so effing hard. I am done. Like, this is terrible. Uh, and my wife actually ever the fan of sunk cost fallacy was like, you already like you already put this much time into it. Like we've been fighting because <laughs> like you're never like you're never, you know, available. Uh, you need to just go through with it. Um, and so literally like that same week, I kind of got past the hump where I, I don't know, I guess I like saw the light and truly understood uh, Solana's programming model. And right. that week I like rewrote our entire smart contract in like two days uh and it was since then it's just been smooth sailing just for the just for the audience we're talking about strata protocol right yeah well what was then kind of wumbo which was like you know social tokens we ended up pivoting away from social tokens because we realized like oh we actually created some really cool generic tools to launch tokens um because like that's what a social token is is like someone needs to be able to click a button and launch a token and not have to think about it I forgot about Wumbo. I really did. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, BitClout kind of, you know, all the social token things kind of um, died out. And I think it's because NFTs sort of took that. Like, NFTs ended up being the thing that you use to, to leverage social movements. Um, having, having that personalization uh, attached to it was, I think, key in the social movement that a token just couldn't do, right? Um, or at least it didn't do as well. Um, but people are still launching tokens, and so Strata Protocol, honestly, Strata Protocol is still um, being used by people to launch tokens. Um, fully uh, immutable. 
um, at this point. I think I remember you saying that um, you you locked down that you locked down that program a while ago. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it went like you know six months or so without any kind of changes to it. So figured it was time to throw out the keys, uh, <laughs> which I honestly I think a lot of a lot more people should do. Um, the only reason that I'm using squads right now is because it's immutable. Like I know that that multi sig is only accessible by the people that are in the multi sig. There's no like update authority that can rug that from me. Um, but yeah, I mean, that was my first experience with crypto. It was, you know, I actually really, really love fire hoses of information. Like my favorite part often of any new job is like kind of getting a little bit of like a, like a, it's basically like a college degree in whatever that job needs. Right. Um, so like, you know, when I first went to FinTech, I had to learn all about options trading. Um, and when I came to crypto, I had to learn all about crypto and it's like very, very dense. Um, and you know, how do you create a wallet? How do you create a hardware wallet? Um, but yeah, I mean, my first experience with ETH was, uh, again, on this learning path, I, you know, I bought some, some USDC on, uh, FTX, hate to see it. Um, and I wanted to send it to my ledger and I didn't know at the time that USDC was available both on Sol and ETH. So I like copied the address from my ledger, which was an ETH address. And then I, you know, sent like $20 worth um, to that. And then I realized like, wait, what do I like, how do I get it off? Because I messed up. It's, it's ETH, not Sol. And so then I had to like go and transfer my $20 off back to FTX. But ETH was going to charge me like $10 to send my $20. And it was going to take 20 minutes. I was just like, and at this point, the only thing I had ever used was Solana. Like I, you know like less than a cent transaction fees and things go through in like five seconds. And I had to spend $10 to send $20 and it took 10 minutes. And I was so upset. I was like, I've been rugged. Uh, this is terrible. Um, but I digress. <laughs> uh, you know, now I figured it out. <laughs> so I want to talk a little bit more about this sort of Wumbo thing. And you said you would, you would build this, you were sort of basically rebuilding BitClout on Solana. Um, and Along the way, you ended up building some tools and you mentioned like the tools where people are, are launching um, tokens on, on, um, on Solana. Can you give us a little like a little more information on like what Strata actually eventually um, sort of evolved into um, and and like what was the sort of like. I remember whenever that that transition happened and you like went like full blown Strata and you were like constantly trying to get people to, to use it. Um, and like to, to make their lives easier and, and I'm pretty sure safer, but like, what did Strata like become like at the end of the day? Like what was the, f or what was, what was the plan? And like, what was the actual final result that you ended up with? Yeah, it's funny because we, <laughs> you know, we experimented with a lot of different business models. We probably shipped like five separate products, uh, in the span of like, <laughs> you know, eight months or so. Um, what Strata eventually became was just a place to go and like, okay, how do I like actually create a token? How do I make sure that it, you know, shows up in Phantom, SoFlare, all of the wallets, um, which, you know, ended up actually taking, doing a lot of work with uh, Metaplex and the wallets to make sure that uh, we weren't using this crazy token list GitHub repo, uh, which is a story in and of itself. Um and then, like, once you actually have this token, how do you 
you know, how do you initially like offer it to people, right? Like, uh, how do you bootstrap liquidity for a token? Right. Cause like your goal is eventually you want to have like an Orca Whirlpool or something set up with your token where you can, you know, swap soul for your token. Um, but how do you get there? And so we ended up building this really, really cool auction mechanism called an LBC, just kind of loosely based off of an LBP from Ethereum. Um, and then, you know, then not that many people were launching tokens, but a ton of people were launching NFTs and they kept crashing the network because the network at that time didn't have fee markets or any kind of, you know, protection against multiple people trying to, you know, go for a single resource. Um, and so we actually took this auction mechanism and we put it in front of NFT mints so that like the more people minted, the more the price goes up and the, you know, when people stop minting, the price starts falling. Uh, and so it kind of created like a natural, uh, I guess you could call it like a rate limiter on the mint, like a financial rate limiter. And, and at this point, like that was sort of like the final like um, product that you landed on. Yeah, we kind of, you know, while, while we were in talks with uh, Helium, kind of the, the other route that we would have gone if we didn't go acquisition um, was that we were going to build like a fully on-chain token-graded group chat. Um, and we, did, we actually did build it. It's still in the strata repo. Somebody can go and use it if they want. But honestly, Dialect is doing that way better than uh, we ever would have. I mean, I don't know that Dialect is on-chain, but I don't know for that scale that you necessarily want it to be on-chain anyway. Yeah, like like dialect is crushing it right now. They went product first, and I, and like I think everybody can can say they love that. Like, we're, I I like that we're seeing like a new gen, next generation of products, like squads and and dialect, and like so many other cool things are popping up. Like, we went through a time where everybody was sort of building the same shit over and over again, and like we're starting to see like that like evolution. It's not. I feel like it's like right on the cusp of more people. Like I like like Sheck um, is building social Legos. Um, uh, via gum, which is going to be really cool once that starts to gain more adoption. So I just love seeing this, not like, not the same, like I love DeFi, love NFTs, but I also love seeing people start to do new things. Um, and, and we're, and we're Solana's getting there and moving way faster than, than most other, uh, other blockchains right now. So, um, it's super exciting. I think this over the course of the next like six months, six to 12 months, we're going to start to see even like more, like more innovation and way cooler apps. Um, you mentioned your, you mentioned your, um, this sort of acquisition. And I was actually, actually, before I get to that acquisition part, I had a couple other questions and I, just because we've been talking about this and it's like, you've already sort of described your experience building on Solana, like in those early days, how does that, like, it, it sucked. You had a really bad time. You wanted to bang your head against the wall and basically quit. Uh, but you stuck around like, what's the difference like just sort of like in like between that then and now because i've recently saw you talking about helios and some other things and then we obviously have anchor like what's like what's the increase in productivity compared to like those early days versus now i mean now it's much closer to you know solving the actual problem like the we called it chewing glass back in the day and that's like my my github username is literally chewing glass um, because like the things that you dealt with, they weren't like hard technical problems. They were pedantic. It was like, I didn't pass the accounts in the right order. And so the transaction failed, but it didn't tell me why it failed. It just like said it failed. Right. And like, you had to type the same piece of code like five times 
type the same accounts list out like five times. Um, and like, God forbid you had a signature wrong. It would just tell you that signature verification failed, not which one. Um, and so like it, it was chewing glass cause it like, it wasn't, it wasn't that it was hard. It was just like, it was so, so annoying. It took discipline. Um, now the, you know, the chewing glass has been pushed to the outer fringes where like you're working on new stuff like compression. Um, but you know, really for the most part, the actual core of writing a smart contract is do you or do you not understand Solana's accounts model? Um, because it really is like, you know, it's actually a really um, reasonable transition for me coming from data infrastructure to Solana because all building smart contracts is, is building a, a system of microservices that have a reasonable data model that is shared between them. When you start thinking of Solana like a NoSQL database, suddenly this stuff starts to feel uh, a lot more familiar to like Web2 land. Um, and so I also start my Solana design on a whiteboard, like I started my data infra design. Um, but now like, you know, Anchor has made it so disgustingly easy to spit out smart contracts that like, you know, I don't spend as much of my time as I would like to writing smart contracts. Most of the time is spent, you know, building stuff around the fringes, like the smart contract, it needs a user interface. Um, you need like actual Web2 services sometimes, like in the case of Helium, where you have oracles. More React than you've want to write? Oh, God, I know. <laughs> this, <laughs> it's hilarious because like uh, so much of Solana is like backend engineers forced to write React. Uh, and then you have like front end engineers forced to write smart contracts. Um, you know, I actually think the transition is e I think it's easier for front end engineers to learn how to write smart contracts uh, than it is for back end engineers to learn how to write good UIs. It's just like so many front end engineers are like scared. They're like, I can't do that. I can't touch Rust. Like, I'm sorry, but like you totally can. And it's not that hard with Anchor. Um, I mean, like even the tools that you see where you can like now write smart contracts with Python, like the Python, the way that it translates to the Rust, you can tell like the, the Rust is not that bad. Yeah, I mean, I, I have these conversations with everybody, and usually the question is, what was harder to learn, um, Rust or just Solana? And uh, the answer is typically Solana, like getting dot down into to accounts model, PDAs, and all these things are typically like most people, once they get past the hump of like looking at like the syntax of Rust and being like, what the hell is this foreign language? Um, and then just like actually realizing that they can do it, like Solana, like, just and especially people coming from Ethereum, because people ask me how you transition from Ethereum to Solana, and usually my response is forget everything you know, and then start there. Um, because like trying to make those side by side comparisons is not going to make it. You're going to have a bad time. Yeah, I think for me the best comparison I've had with people is like learning Solana is like the first time that you go from most people learn object oriented programming first. It's like when you go from object-oriented to functional programming, and the very first time you start with functional programming, you're like, what is this? This makes no sense. I don't understand how it's organized. And then after a few weeks, you're like, okay, this is better. Like Some of these patterns are really awesome. I love, like, I love the immutability. I love how easy it is to parallelize things. Solana's, Solidity to Solana is the exact same thing. It's like, okay, uh, the model is different. There are way more accounts, but because of that, it's you know way more parallelizable and way more performant. Um, and you just have to kind of learn this different model. It's a little bit alien at first, but once you get it, it's great. 
Yeah, I mean, you hear it all the time. Like people, like even even people that are low level engineers, um, will will come into Solana, and it's not even on the Solana side. It's like most C plus plus engineers do not like Rust for the, at least the first three months, <laughs> and then you check back in on them, and they're like, "Ah, this is pretty okay. Um, I don't hate it anymore." And then it usually sort of progresses from there. Um, so I want to jump back to to another part that you had mentioned, and you were talking about Strata. And like your sort of transition, like like to, to helium, like so. I'm a little. I was a little confused actually. What happened at that point? Like I I didn't know if you had got acquired, like or like what happened. Like what was the situation? Like with like you getting connected with helium, and did did, did you get acquired by them? Yeah, yeah, acquired, acquired. It's somewhere in between. So <laughs> we we actually <laughs> over the course of Strata had built a lot of the things that Helium needed for their HIP-51. So, like, our bonding curves are effectively what they needed for um, their treasury. So this ability to take sub-DAO tokens and swap them back to the main DAO tokens. Um, and we had also done some work with Grape on Solana to kind of split their DAO into many sub-DAOs. Um, so we already had a little bit of experience, but, like, you know, obviously... <laughs> The, the whole of Helium is much, much larger than that. Really, Helium needed a, a team that has shipped things on Solana and could just hit the ground running, right? Like, they wanted to get this migration done. They didn't want to, you know, spend the time trying to go through the learning curve uh, with Solana. Um, so it was just kind of a, a natural match. We were at the point with Strata where, like, yeah, it's cool. It's a great tool. It's open source. People are launching tokens. but you know, it was the start of a bear market and not that many people were launching tokens. So we were at the point of pivoting, right? We we're like, okay, what if we did like token gated group chat? Like we're, you know, back to the drawing board. And at that point is like, okay, so do we go back to the drawing board and try to come up with something completely new? Or do we take this thing that exists that's already awesome? Like Helium is really, really cool. And do we just ship it through? Um, and for me, like, you know, I was, I was ready to go, right? Like being a founder is, is extremely hard. Um, I found out kind of the hard way that I am much better at tech than I am at being a CEO. Um, and so, you know, this ability to just go right back into some hard tech problems that, um, you know, have really large impact was, you know, a pretty attractive thing to do. So, you know, we ended up doing what is effectively an aqua hire with some, you know, stuff taken from the open source strata repo, but we're not using any of those contracts. Yeah. Like you hit on a point talking about like helium wanting to get some people from Solana, like to hit the ground running and, and like they had their own, um, doing their own blockchain thing. And they were sort of just like, you know what? I, I, I saw it on the saga launch and it was basically like, you know what? Screw that. Like, let's, let's, let's move to a, like a performant blockchain and we'll stick to the wireless stuff that we know how to do and focus our time on that. And then one of those things sounds like they, they were like, you were hired to be like, Hey, we got this guy, he's already crushing it. So like, let's bring him on board. The one interesting piece that I just like keep seeing Anatoly talk about recently is that how like every hot spot on helium is an nft um and 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 my brain's probably a little too small to understand like what that actually even means but um like i don't quite get it yeah so it's a little bit of a shift of thinking i feel like you know when people hear the word nft they're like oh okay like a jpeg right like i'm buying a piece of art um, right but really like 
what an NFT is at its core is this thing that indicates that you own something, right? Like it points back to your wallet and it cleanly shows up in your wallet. And that's exactly the trait that we desire for like a, a physical item in this world, right? Like I own a hotspot. Makes sense that that hotspot should show up in my wallet and that I should own it. Um, so it just made sense for us to represent the hotspots as NFTs. But, you know, it, that's that's basically where the similarities between like your typical NFT collection drop. Like, you know, everything else, these things are pretty advanced NFTs where there's a bunch of on-chain data associated with them and they're, you know, accumulating rewards for mining and stuff like that. They're also compressed. So, so what are you personally doing, like your personal focus right now, like, or, or not even just right now, like, like, what have you been doing, like at Helium? Like, what, what, what sort of like cool stuff have you been up to? Yeah, so myself and team, uh, so me, Brian, Thorne, it's a, actually a really small team. Uh, there's just three of us working on the smart contracts. Um, Helium Foundation has, you know, much more people that are working on things like the Explorer, um, but it's a small team working on the smart contracts and we've shipped out pretty much the entire, well, not pretty much the entire scaffolding of how helium works on Solana in about six months. Uh, and this includes things that were not on helium, uh, to begin with. So, um, this idea of sub DAOs and a treasury between them, um, this idea of, you know, tokens flowing into these treasuries, like all of that is fresh on Solana. Um, and so we had to get, really creative to ship this much this fast i think it's like 10 different contracts um so you know i've been trying to make tweet threads occasionally of some of the efficiency gains we've got the the very first thing that i did uh when i started working on this was i went into anchor and contributed this ability to do custom account resolvers and resolve has one relations so that i could completely nuke all of the account munging crap that you have to do because we just we save so much time by not having to write uh, thousands of lines of SDKs. Just like I can't understate enough how much time we save by doing that. Um, but then, you know, we've had <laughs> a bunch of other interesting problems since Helium. I mean, one is Helium is huge, right? And like typically, when you write a smart contract, you don't go from zero to one hundred immediately, right? Like your TVL kind of slowly builds up. With Helium. We're going from zero to an entire network with hundreds of thousands of users just using it. Um, so we put in a lot of security speech features and backstops like our circuit breakers um, to make sure that if something goes wrong, not everything disappears. Another hard problem to solve was, uh, starting to lose my voice, Oof. Uh, another hard problem to solve was the, um, just the sheer amount of state. Like how do, you, how do you take all that state from one blockchain and dump it on another blockchain? without absolutely spamming the crap out of it. Um, so we, we found a good way to do that as well, um, which I'll probably, if I have time, uh, you know, maybe by the time this podcast comes out, that tweet thread will be out. <laughs> so um, just because we, we've been talking about Helium, and I think a lot of the listeners might know what Helium is, but like maybe it's, uh, it's worth sort of just like retroactively uh, sort of describing like the grand vision for Helium um, in, in the simplest way possible. Just uh, like what is Helium and what is it going to bring to this space? Yeah, so the idea of Helium is to basically be the people's wireless network. So if you think like, traditional wireless network let's take 5g right 
Verizon goes and they buy up land to put up 5G towers. Well, I guess 5G isn't all towers, but, um, you know, they're going and putting up 5G uh, hotspots. The idea of helium is what if you just allow people to do that? So people buy hotspots, they put them on their house, um, and then for providing network, they mine tokens. And to use the network, you burn tokens. Um, and so it's this nice little closed ecosystem where the people who are using the network are paying for it and the people who are providing the network get paid for it. Um, and by letting people build the network, it's able to get built much more quickly and more effectively and kind of get into areas that uh, you know traditional providers wouldn't have otherwise been able to do, which is really important when you're talking about things like 5G that don't have very much range, right? Like it's easy for Verizon to go put up a giant 4G tower and cover, you know, miles of territory. But 5G goes like 400 meters. So Helium is kind of, uh, you know, <laughs> helping build these networks, but it's also, you know, a blockchain core project because uh, the token incentivization. Yeah. So, I mean, like, that's crazy interesting. It, it, am I able to go out and buy um, a hotspot right now? Yeah. Um, so there are two networks on Helium right now. One of them is uh, IoT, which is a signal called lower one. It has like a, I think it has like a crazy high range. Like it's hundreds of miles. Well, not hundreds. I think it's like a hundred miles. Um, it's really good for sensors that don't eat up very much battery life. Um, so you can put out like a temperature sensor or something um, on a farm and have it last for 10 years. Those hotspots are way cheaper. Um, so you can get one of those for like, I think less than $400 now. Um, the 5G ones are, <laughs> you can only set them up in the US right now because there's some regulations around it. Um, and they're, they're a bit more expensive, but, um, yeah, you can just, anybody can go, uh, you know, get one and set it up. That's awesome. Yeah. I mean, like I said, I, I saw it being talked about, uh, recently and just like hearing the vision of it, like in the beginning, it's just like, yeah, helium's coming to Solana. This is awesome. And then like, you really start to dive into actually what's being built here. And like, it's like one of them, it's one of the most exciting things for me right now, um, to know that these other sorts of wild infrastructure use cases that are only possible on Solana, um, are, are coming here. So, um, it's super, it's super cool to see. Um, so moving beyond helium, th there's always like sort of a few questions I like to ask, um, as, as we wrap up the show and, and the very first one, um, and I know you've been building on Solana for a while now is like, what still sucks about building on Solana? Like you can pick one, you can pick two, whatever, like, but what like really still sucks to build on Solana? Oh, this is a hard one. Because my, my personal philosophy is every time that I find something that sucks, I just find a way to fix it and then give that back, right? <laughs> like, <laughs> I, I was annoyed as hell with the account munging, um, and so I made a solution. Um, I guess, actually, on that note, I, so I made a solution. I made it in TypeScript. Now, anytime that I want to go and write something in Rust um, and have it hit my smart contracts, it sucks. I feel like I've gone back to the Stone Age because I don't have my magical account resolvers. Um, so really what we need is some kind of thing that can language agnostic go look at an IDL um, and resolve all of the accounts. And really, like, there's no reason that you couldn't build something that, you know, kind of goes through a simulation of your smart contract, figures out what accounts it's going to need, uh, and then passes those in. Like, I think that's 
Solana's biggest like UX developer UX problem has always been uh, the fact that you have to go and fetch all of these accounts and pass them in. Right. Yeah. And I mean, it's, it's, I, I, I don't know technically enough of like what kind of lift that is or how possible it is or, or whatever, but it's something that we've obviously been hearing for a very long time. And if it's possible to solve, then, then somebody's eventually going to do it. Um, it's just not everybody's sort of as altruistic as you are. Um, I don't think <laughs> other Noah is working on that. I think actually, um, so with like the interfaces oh, yeah, ideas yeah. that we were throwing around in Chicago, um, I, I'm pretty sure they are actually trying to build out a dynamic account resolution thing. Just these things take time. Like it's a big technical lift. Yeah. I mean, but like the, I, I remember like in the earliest days when all we had was the core docs and people were like, nobody will ever learn Rust. Nobody will ever do that. Nobody will ever like build an indexer because nobody uses Solana and like that nobody will ever stuff always comes true eventually. So whatever people were currently saying that'll never happen on Solana it's going to, um, at least so far, like historically, that's the way that it's worked out. But now that we talked about like what you say, like sort of sucks on Solana, like what, what is, what are the benefits, um, of, for building on Solana? Not necessarily like we, not about the speed and all that good stuff, but I'm talking about like, what, what is good about the developer experience of Solana? Um, in your opinion, maybe there are none, no, man. maybe there are some. I can. I can go for ages on this one, the composability, like Jesus Christ, like the amount that we built here in six months would not have been possible with a team of three people, um, virtually anywhere else, just because the amount of tools there are like clockwork, amazing switchboard, amazing Helios has tons of amazing tools. Um, so like it, your ability to build things fast on Solana is Honestly, mostly lim like limited by your ability to troll Twitter and find what cool projects there are to use. <laughs> um, and then, yeah, I mean, obviously, like the speed is great. Like I was running a, a load test yesterday for the, the Helium migration. Uh, and it just like it just it feels so good to sit there watching the transactions tick, tick up like you're blasting hundreds of transactions a second. And the thing's like, yeah, it's fine. This is cool. And you didn't even spend that much soul to send that many transactions. It's still, it doesn't get old. Like sending, click, even clicking send to soul and having it go in like one second still hasn't gotten old for me. <laughs> yeah. I, I like as, as you're talking and talking about all those things that you just mentioned, all those things that make building on Solana easier is like, one thing I think about, because I'm always thinking about like how that gets improved, and obviously we have Jacob and the DevRel team that are working on like different things like content, and then you have Noah and, and these other guys working on tooling, and there's like so much, like, and then we have third parties like Mert and, and all these other guys that are building things um, to make life easier for developers. It makes me think that like one more, one challenging piece is like as a newbie coming into the Solana ecosystem, and all I see is this content about like, how to write a Rust smart contract or how to do this. What is not really truly discoverable or understandable is like, what is the stack? Like, like all those things you just mentioned, not everybody knows that you, like you, like you said, you have to suss it out on Twitter, like, and ask about it, but not everybody's going to do that. If we want to gain mass developer adoption, that has to be like in your face somewhere, like for me to be like, Oh, these are the tools and I, that's basically like my Solana tool belt. Um, otherwise you just hang out on Twitter until eventually like 
you make a thread and somebody realizes that like that exists and they've been here for a year and a half and had no idea. You know what I mean? Like, I think some of those are some of the more discoverability basically is, is a really important thing. Yeah, I think so. I, you know, think back to like when I learn anything that's not Solana, how I go and figure out what tools there are. Usually there's like a, you know, awesome Solana GitHub page. Um, I think somebody tried to do that at some point for Solana, but just because of the sheer pace of things that are getting built, <laughs> it's, it's very hard to keep something like that organized and keep something like that relevant. Um, and also how do you break it down? Because there's so many facets, like, are you building something in DeFi? Or are you building something, you know, in Dpin? Like it's something like that could be really useful, but it's probably, you need a gardener. <laughs> like you need someone to garden that. So it is so it is it's super hard. There's multiple awesome Solana lists. Um Soldev is actually doing this. They're sort of they were like they saved my life in the early days when I was the only like one of the like only two people in DevRel. I think it was like maybe it was just me or actually Jacob and Donnie were here at the time, but like we didn't have the capacity to build out our own website and soul dev became this aggregator. You could go submit your own content, but eventually over time, um, like we knew this, like you said, as a gardener, some of that content becomes outdated and like, it's not like Ethereum where like things are being like updated, like every like five seconds, like shit happens so quickly, new versions, like how many candy machines are we going to have that stuff, like keeping up to date with that and keeping it relevant uh, is is hard and also like when there's so much of it and it's not perfectly structured it's overwhelming and somebody will go there as a developer and be like fuck that that's too much stuff and i don't even know where to begin here um so keeping that curated list of the best of the best stacks eventually those those things start to become apparent but like right now i still think it's like it's a little hard for new new people to know what is the right thing for them to be using. Yeah, that actually brings up another interesting thing of like what Solana can do better, which is like god, I mean, my brother started this, but we have such a such a like ship fast and break things mentality here, which is great. <laughs> we ship a ton of stuff and Solana moves faster than any other chain, but it also <laughs> breaks like no other and breaks not faster. just like the yeah and not just like the chain itself right but like you know projects that you're building off of it like i you know have kind of come to the expectation that when i try to integrate something new it's going to be a little bit of sandpaper before it grinds into place um and then like everybody's shipping so fast that like you know you build against the v2 and all of a sudden the v3 is out and like you know it, it <laughs> it's hard right because there's you want to have tons of change and tons of advancement, but also, uh, you know, we lose the stability when we sprint so fast. Yeah, it's a double-edged sword, but like I, I'm in favor of continuing to keep pushing and, and not necessarily breaking stuff, but continue innovating quickly, even if it makes things outdated very quickly. Um, as like, hopefully there's some backwards compatibility built in so that it doesn't break shit. Um, but anyways, we're about at the, we're, we're about at the end of the show. Um, I always ask one final question and that final question is what advice do you give to future devs building on Solana? Maybe they're sitting there on the sidelines wondering if they should get in, maybe they're just getting started, but like, what advice do you have to them to make, sh to, to sort of just inspire them to, to, to get 
to the next level, like become like you have made a huge jump and transition very quickly. What like like what advice would you give these people? Yeah. So the first thing is like your learning phase. Um, well, I mean, you're always going to be learning, but read other people's code. Like I learned the entirety of my original knowledge of how to program on Solana by reading my brother's pull request. Like it's the code is approachable. Like once you once you uh, decide you're going to learn it, just go go read the SPL token code base and like understand how it works. It's not that complicated. You'll realize and like once you understand SPL token, that's like how 90% of the stuff on Solana works. Go read SPL token metadata. Like read other people's code, read other people's anchors code base anchor code bases. That's a really, really great way to learn. Um, but in kind of tandem with this, you need to build something. Like having something else to look at uh is really, really good for learning, but only if you're leveraging it to build something. And you need to build something new. Um, so like you can always dip your foot in with a tutorial that somebody else has written, but when you actually want to learn something, you need to build something completely new that no one else has built before. Like my example, right? When I was like, I'm going to try and build BitCloud on Solana. No one's done that yet. That is where the true learning is, is when you push yourself to the edge and you force yourself to keep going. Um, and Solana has plenty of mentors and plenty of people that are willing to help you. And now there's a stack overflow, like. The ecosystem has gotten much more helpful, but like the best way to learn is to force yourself to chew the glass. Yeah, man, that's great advice. Um, and you're not the first person to give a version of that because, and like when everybody says the same thing, then like, then you're probably, you know, when there's smoke, there's fire. So I think there's a ton of truth to that. Well, thanks, man, Noah. It was a pleasure to have you. Uh, it's been a long time coming. Uh, so thanks for joining and uh, I'll see you later, man. Cheers. Yeah, thanks for having me. See ya.